This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. We are in the midst of getting ready to start a full year looking at the life of Jesus, his life teaching and works from the four Gospels put together in one chronological flow. So here we're getting started. My name's Mark, and I'm here with my colleague, Ben, and we are ready to dive in on this episode numero uno as we get started. So let me just start off like, Ben, what's this thing all about? And from your perspective, why are we even doing it? Uh, Well, you wrote the devotionals, so it seems like uh, odd that you are asking me this question, but uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it is. It's an opportunity to capture the life of Jesus, to look at it, uh, look at his life um, in a chronological uh, order as we piece the gospel accounts together. And we have, of course, discovered the chronological order, right? That's like the exact order of events in his life. The definitive. The definitive. You know, there's no possible way you can do that, by the way. It's an impossibility to know that the gospel writers had a a certain theme they were driving at. We know that the events take place in different orders in the Gospels. But for the most part, it sort of follows a sort of kind of chronological order of events in Jesus' life. Is that fair? As I said, definitive. Yeah, definitive. Definitive. (laughs) You said that. Definitive. So uh, that's how this thing is laid out. And there are a number of places where you can take a look And we will uh, show you those later. There are links and things where you can take a look at the gospel readings for the week and all those kind of things. For now, we're just going to jump right in. We're going to jump into the gospel of Luke in chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, you want to follow along, that'd be awesome. And we're going to take a look at how Luke presents the beginning of the story of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 1, the first few verses... Luke really is just setting the framework for why he is writing. Uh, from what you know, Ben, and you're the resident smart guy on staff, um, from what you, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, really, everybody, from what you know, like, who is Luke? Uh, Luke, as we know, is one of the travel uh, companions to the Apostle Paul. And um, Luke was a doctor. He was a historian. We have his gospel account. Uh, we have the account in Acts where he uh where he uh, uh, follows along and records Paul's missionary journeys primarily. And so as we look at Luke, we see him as Dr. Luke. We see him as uh, the early church historian, uh, recording really the spread of the gospel uh, from Jerusalem into Turkey and, and Greece, uh, and ultimately the, the, the beginning expansion of the gospel uh, with the church plants and uh, a myriad of other uh, happenings uh, in the life of Paul. Ultimately, uh, for Paul's first Roman imprisonment, which led to Paul's Roman imprisonment, as we see captured at the end of uh, Luke's uh, book of Acts. So he was kind of their resident smart guy. He was their Ben Greenbaum, uh, <laughs> so to speak. And it, it says that kind of in verse three, it says, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning and I decided to write an orderly account. I don't know if that was a jab at one of the other gospel <laughs> writers that theirs wasn't so orderly or what it was, but at least he was attempting to do that. And Luke is also the author of the book of Acts. So he writes this two-part history, the life of Jesus, and then the beginnings of the early church. So that's kind of a, 
a context for that. But let's, we're, this is really about Jesus. It's not about Luke. It's not the Life of Luke podcast. It's the Life of Jesus podcast. So I'd like to, to jump into the beginnings of the birth story and the Christmas story as we know it and, and see what this gospel says about the beginnings of Jesus, at least as it takes place. But before Jesus, there was his cousin, so many times removed, we don't really know, his cousin named John, John the Baptist. He's a fact, by the way, why is he not John the Methodist or John the Presbyterian? I've always wondered that. <laughs> and so John is there, and um, he he's the first person we hear about in Luke's gospel as the angel makes an appearance to John's father when his father Zechariah was on duty. So and like what's unfolding in that story that grabs the attention that we should pay attention to when we think about the beginnings of Jesus in his life? What what comes to your mind when you think about the angel and Zechariah and Elizabeth and John? Uh, a family um, that ultimately is is seeking to live into uh, God's call upon their life, and so we see Zechariah. Uh, he's he's fulfilling his priestly duty. He has this encounter uh, with the angel. Um, the the initial encounter, as is oftentimes uh, happens throughout Scripture, the encounter with the the angel, the immediate response is one of fear. Yeah. Uh, typically, when angels uh, showed up, you know, we've got this this uh, picture of angels as soft, sweet, you know, kindly voices. And yet, typically, when an angel appeared in Scripture, um, it meant that wrath, God's wrath, was, was coming. And so the immediate response is understandable uh, from Zechariah. I can almost see him uh, attempting to, to hide as the angel uh, appears. But the angel brings this, uh, this, immediate, um, this immediate message to Zechariah of the coming birth of his child, a shocking message because his wife is beyond childbearing years. Um, Elizabeth had been barren. And so we have this immediate promise uh, given to John uh, of the child to come. And John's response is one of absolute disbelief, right? It's one of these humorous moments, really, in the, the context of Scripture from the standpoint that John is then silenced for nine months, uh, well, for the entirety of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Can you, can you imagine the blessing that that might have been uh, to, <laughs> to Elizabeth? Um, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, whether it was laryngitis or, he, or whatever, whatever right. God gave him to not be able to talk. Right. You know, I've always looked at that, and it seems a little unfair because <laughs> he was silenced for asking the question, how? Right. But a few verses later, Mary asked the exact same question, how? Right. And she's rewarded. So I don't really, I don't really understand that one, to be honest with you. It seems a little, uh, a little strange, but Zechariah gets the, the punishment for not believing the angel of God, doesn't he? Yeah. And I think so. I think some ways, you know, the, the difference I think we see between uh, Mary's response and John's response is though Elizabeth is beyond childbearing years, she is going to become pregnant, um, you know, in the old-fashioned way. And we see in Mary, the question is born of how is this going to happen, right? right. For she is a, a virgin. 
And so I think a lot of times the, the question itself stems from that. We see John in some ways uh, an aspect of disbelief and Mary curious because what the angel is, is sharing defies biological reality. But wouldn't it also be true that it defied biological reality when Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were both well past childbearing years? I mean, it's just a curious piece of sure, the story sure. to me that I have to I dive into. You know, by the way, on this podcast, we're going to just ask each other questions that we don't understand yeah. about, and Ben will answer all of them. So that's that's <laughs> that, my that's goal. Uh, <laughs> that's my goal for how this thing will will play out a little bit. It, I, I guess the the thought for me is as I bring it into my life is that that doubt in and of itself is not an evil thing. No, the no. doubt the question of how, or I don't get this, or God, do you really mean this in my life, is is not automatically seen by God as you you shall never question me, because we see that a lot of time in Scripture, yeah. where you go back into the Old Testament and Abraham, like, are he, you know, and his wife, Sarah, are you kidding me? You know, and when they were really old as well. And so, you know, doubt's not all bad, is it? No, absolutely not. Um, I think one of the aspects with with Zechariah that we see is that uh, this miracle has happened before, right? Um, in the life of, of Isaac and, and Sarah and the lives of, of others. And so uh, there is a, a, a background, a history that in some ways in my, own, in my own mind, as I look at Zechariah's response, that he could have given himself to as a means toward trust. Mm. To your greater point, though, yet yeah, doubt is not, you know, Jonathan Edwards, uh, Puritan back in the day. Um, Jonathan Edwards, in his book, Relig- Religious Affections, he makes a point that the, the person that never wrestles with doubt is a person who is ultimately uh, in some way self-righteous, hmm. which I, I thought was an interesting juxtaposition when I read that, um, because a lot of times the, the person that refuses to doubt ultimately or, or never wrestles uh, with doubt, is someone who I think oftentimes is not really truly wrestling with the Word, that is not ultimately engaged in a, a relationship uh, with Christ uh, more fully or to the fullest, because we will all uh, wrestle with doubt as we are learning, as we are growing. Um, you know, I tell my kids stuff, and rather than just instantaneously believing me, they ask questions. And that's what we want, right? That's an aspect of, of relational yeah. growth. That's an aspect of building relational context and relational uh, love. And so, yeah, doubt is nothing that should ever be put down. And it's like I, I tell people all the time, whether in Bible studies or, or another context, you know, there, there's no such thing necessarily as a bad question. There can be really bad answers. But as we're wrestling with our questions, we should especially within the context of the church, should be free and open to be able to ask those questions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about this, that you and I have very different journeys that brought us to this day right. where we are sitting together. Right. And I was raised a uh, very blue-collar home. My dad was a truck driver, but we went to church every single Sunday of my life. I mean, everyone. Yet I remember there were times in my life when I had these curious questions. I would look out my bedroom mm-hmm. window. We lived way out in the country. It was dark as could be out there. I'd look at the stars and think, is this possible? Is there really a God who created this? And I asked, I asked these authentic questions that I had to pursue in my mind and in my heart and in Scripture 
and through other people. Yet that wasn't your childhood, was it? No, not at all. As I kid around and have shared before, you know, as a, as a kid growing up in South Louisiana and going to Saints games uh, off and on, we'd always say, you know, back in the day, I'm not sure if anybody does this anymore, but they, there, would, there was always signs that people would hold up and say John 3.16 on them. And I never understood why John was coming to the Saints game late. That's how far <laughs> removed we were uh, from, uh, from Christ, from Scripture, uh, from the church. And so, yeah, a much different environment. And in that, you know, we, we looked at the church, we looked at Christianity uh, oftentimes through the lens of a, an oppressive force in some ways, not, um, uh, not something that was not birthing wholeness uh, in this world, but actually creating uh, trouble. And so I was meant to question Christianity from the standpoint that it was wrong, that this was a wrong path uh, in life, um, even to the point to where uh, there was some hostility, honestly, in our, in our house. I grew up with, with parents who loved one another deeply, loved us, uh, deeply cherished uh, us. Uh, but my father had some real hostility toward organized religion, which I think uh, ultimately, ultimately clouded his view of the gospel until the very end of his life, where, uh, as my mom shares with me and has shared with me, that on his deathbed, um, he accepted Christ. Mm. Uh, now, my mom, on the other hand, the, the, at, soon after my dad uh, passed away, just gave herself uh, to the Lord. And uh, she could not contain her affection uh, for Jesus. It became Jesus, yeah. Jesus, Jesus every day uh, to the point to where she really pressed in to my brother and I and into our lives and began to ask questions of us, of why we believe the things that we believed, um, posing questions to us to, to cause us to reason through. This was an aspect of my coming to faith, but caused us to really truly reason through uh, the, the truths of Scripture and what was being revealed. I, I love that. That's, that's great because no matter where we are at the moment in our relationship with God or, or lack thereof, good questions will help us find the truth, right. help us find, really find Him, won't they? Amen. And I, I think that's maybe—I don't know if that's going on in the story or not, but I just noticed there were— these authentic questions that came out of the mouths of Zechariah and of Mary, and sort of they had different responses to them. Maybe it had to do something with their heart. Of course, we don't have the tone of voice or anything else. That's true. That takes place when we have the written scripture. But we do know that that um, they asked those questions, and that the same angel Gabriel in both cases uh, let them know what was what, what was taking place, what was what this was really about. And when we jump down into the, the appearance to Mary, we see that he describes uh, to Mary who Jesus would be, even before she had conceived him through the Holy Spirit. He, he said this, it's in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called, some of his titles here, the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, going back a thousand years to King David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants, going back even farther, 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His kingdom will never end. So a lot has been has been spoken there. And then down in verse 35, the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You know, these verses, they're, they're powerful statements about the identity of Jesus even before he was placed in her womb by the Holy Spirit. A declaration as she heard this is the identity of the one who's going to be born through me. And then she simply says, maybe so, may it be fulfilled. Uh, I will do it. I, I follow you. And I, and I love that sort of authentic exchange between her and the angel of the Lord and then her, her honest wrestling with it and then her coming to terms with it like, okay, I mean, can you imagine the intimidation? She was young. We don't really, I don't think, know how young, but I think most people guess really young, like mm-hmm. a teenager. And here she's told, a teenage girl, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. That's, that's pretty amazing to me. And yet she goes for it. She jumps in with it. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I marvel out there is that, you know, with Mary, who was most likely a teenager, you know, mid teens, late teens, who who knows? But to your point, she was young, and yet we see this this faith. We we see this uh, this faithful response uh, to the angel. This. Uh, identifying herself as the servant of the God Most High. And I think so often in our current context, how are we nurturing the hearts yeah. of, of our children uh, in our home, in our church? Um, are we really pressing into them to nurture this, this deep, rich, resolute uh, faith, this, this deep relationship uh, with Jesus Christ, we nurture our kids in, in everything, you know, academics, athletics. Uh, we spend time uh, kicking the soccer ball around out on the front yard. We encourage our kids to go practice their cello. We help them with their homework. And yet, are we ever opening the Word of God with them? Are we spending time considering uh, the, 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 the Christ-centered response to the things happening uh, in their lives mm-hmm. as they engage with us uh, about their day when they come home? Uh, are we teaching our kids? Are we nurturing our kids toward this level of faith? Um, or is it something that we simply have this idea we, we kind of offload to to the church an hour on Sunday, but are we really creating a, a, a Christ-centered life? Are we nurturing uh, that end? And when I see Mary, it's one of the things that I oftentimes reflect on because I because it's almost like we have this limiting factor in our engagement with our kids, this limiting factor of expectation uh, of the depth of faith that can be nurtured uh, in our children, almost this idea, well, well, one day they'll figure it out. We don't approach anything else in life like that. And yet the most important thing in life, a Christ-centered life, we kind of take a step back and take our hands off and they'll figure it out 
one day. Yes, as I guess what you're maybe saying is we need to prepare our children to be able to hear from God and respond to God so that when this angel of the Lord showed up in her life and spoke these words, she had, I guess, been prepared to say yes to it. Um, I guess the flip side is that we could just let TikTok and Netflix raise our kids right. and hope for the best, right? Right. I mean, right. That, because that becomes a dangerous way to to live life, just sort of flipping a coin, hoping for the best, and not speaking these deep truths into our families' lives. And I think to your point, that may be the most important thing we ever do, because most of them won't be professional cellists. Or whatever, whatever the thing, you know, you're not, most of them aren't going to be professional basketball players. There's only a handful of them. You know what I'm saying? So those things that are so important, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, and even if they, even if that is, you know, God's call upon their life and, you know, your kid becomes the next yo-yo ma or, or whatever it might be, are we nurturing our, our children to discern God's call upon their life so that in living into that call, they, like Mary, see themselves as a servant of the Lord, that this is God's good gift to me for the sake of, of living into uh, God's glory, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's my response. Man, this is going to be fun. I, I'm going really to enjoy these, these conversations because it's uh, not all scripted. We have, we have some talking points just to let everybody know, but we, we don't know 100% where it's going to go. And we are simply reacting as two, not just two pastors, but two followers of Jesus with Scripture and, and wrestling with it and responding to it and, and not offering answers to you necessarily, who are the listeners, but a, a means by which you can explore along with us the truth of the gospel. In fact, if you want to jump in deeper, we invite you to go to our church's website, fishersumc.org or find our pod, our, what do you call those, those things? Our, um, church app, the church app. That's what you call those things. Find our app, Fishers United Methodist Church app and click on the life of Jesus link. And that'll take you to all kinds of stuff that we're doing with this year long journey, their daily gospel readings for five days a week. And each one of those has a, a devotion that, that I am writing and a poem that my sister-in-law, who's a Presbyterian pastor, is writing. There are weekly sermons that Ben and I and some others will will, uh, be doing, and also a group study that that Ben is writing for your small groups. So so there's a number of ways that you can can dive in and and grow in your relationship, because my real heart for this is that all of us will grow deeper and deeper and deeper in our knowledge and affection, and then the calling of Christ in our lives. And if we do that, uh, I say it's going to be a it's going to be a good journey for the next year. So week one's done, fifty one to go. So thanks for listening today. Next week we're going to take a look at maybe more about the guys that are in the story, Zechariah himself and and Joseph himself and how that reacted. And then the actual birth of Jesus. We're going to jump into that next week as well. For then, have a great week and we'll see you next time.